Welcome to episode 25 of the False Neutral Podcast. I'm Pete. With me, Garrett and Eric. How are you doing, guys? Good. Good. How are you? Hey, all three of us together at the start of an episode. That's fairly remarkable. It is. By, by, By the way, just mark this date. As I am not complaining the fact that it's 98 degrees outside, mm-hmm. strictly because in five months it's going to be minus 25. <laughs> so I'm not going to complain <laughs> that it's 100 degrees outside. I actually, the heat doesn't bother me. It's about, it's at 98 here with a heat index of, I think, 106. But uh, I like the heat. I grew up in Buffalo, New York. So, you know, to me, I'm so thrilled when it's not cloudy and, you know, <laughs> 67 degrees in the summertime and you're growing up no matter what you were doing be sure and grab a windbreaker it might rain it might be cloudy it might be cold it might be windy so i can uh go outside and be fairly confident i'm not going to be cold for months at a time which i didn't experience until i was 14 so i'm still kind of still kind of cool with the heat we had a couple of days of rain but i think we're going to warm back up into the 90s here too so but we don't have the humidity like Especially Eric does, so it's pretty comfortable still. Uh, any any old business or stuff that's uh, gone on this week? Uh, my friend who I had talked about that was looking for a first motorcycle and he was looking at all kinds of things, uh, interceptors and really anything that was inexpensive and would get him around from point A to point B. Well, he ended up buying yesterday or the day before an '81 Yamaha. Maxim 550. It was really cheap and it's in clean condition. It has 8,000 miles on it. The, it's been stored in a garage for most of its life. So it's in good shape. It runs good. And so it'll do what he needs it to do for a thousand bucks. He can get however many miles he can out of it and pass it along to the next person. For a thousand bucks, probably not bad, but I, Somebody asked me about the 550 Maxim one time, and I said, no matter what you want a motorcycle to do, there is a better choice than that bike, regardless <laughs> yeah. of whatever it is that you yeah. want out of a motorcycle. Exactly. Well, it's really underpowered, especially compared to the 750 Maxims. Um, it has about 50 horsepower. The 750 has jumped all the way up to like 86. Um, so it's only 50 horsepower. It's pretty heavy. It's really kind of got a cramped cockpit. Yeah, that's, um, that's the one thing I remember from those is you're almost in a fetal position because it's got yeah. the pullback bars, so your exactly. your your hands aren't much in front of your chest. And yeah, and it doesn't have forward controls, and it's got no, a low seat, so you got it's so low exactly. You fold your legs up, and it's a very short bike front to back. From the bolster on the yes. the step seat to the handlebars is like nothing. Right. But it's, uh, I, out of the uh, Tucker Rocky catalog that I have, I think my cost on some handlebars was like 15 bucks. Just some that are slightly less pulled back and slightly lower in rise, just to at least get the arms a little bit further up because it almost feels like you're steering into your chest 
yeah. with your hands because it's, the handlebars just come so far back. It's it's kind of weird, but um, otherwise, I mean, it's all there. It's complete. It runs good, and a thousand bucks. I feel like for that price, it's kind of like a car. When you're looking for something that just runs and drives to get you from point A to point B, you really can't be too picky, right? And so, at a thousand bucks, it's a running, driving motorcycle that doesn't really need anything. So, and, it, and it's really a cockroach. It's going to yeah. be, you know, after the apocalypse, can't kill it, right? The mutants will be riding those things around. <laughs> yeah. uh, although, you know. There are lots of things on a bike that age that can go bad, like the uh, intake boots and stuff like that mm-hmm. can go bad. But uh, that didn't have any big Achilles heel. Uh yeah. doesn't have a shaft drive. You can replace the chain and sprockets right. over and over again. Runs pretty lean, so you probably want to jet it up some. But you yeah. can get you. I think you can still get a four into one pipe for it. You can still get all the everything except maybe a fuel tank, but. Yeah, that's now, not something that normally needs to be replaced if it's only got eight thousand miles on. It. It's been stored in yeah, indoors. exactly. It's been stored indoors, so none of the plastic rubbery stuff is really too deteriorated. If you would have found a Seika, then that would have been a different story. That actually yeah. would have been a cool bike. Those but, are cool bikes. Yeah, but not so much the Maxims. But you know, it is what it is. It's better slightly than the first motorcycle that I ever had. So at least he's doing better than that. Now I will say, at the time. I really thought the 550 looked better than the 750 or the 650. Um, I, th- I think it's it was kind of a cool-looking bike. Yeah. Which we'll get into the looks of bikes as our topic. But I want to let you guys know that uh, I actually was maybe just a couple hours away from buying a motorcycle this past week and didn't. We were, we were vacillating on the CTX 700. Yeah, CTX 700. And uh, uh, I happened to find a uh, Shadow RS on Craigslist. And uh, really nice shape for $3,000. It was, uh, I think, a 2010. uh, Really nice, uh, like an anthracite gray color, uh, garage-kept, beautiful condition. Uh, They're pretty gutless. But uh, it was a neat bike because it didn't have the full forward controls on it, but it was still something my wife was comfortable on. It wasn't too big. It wasn't too small. Uh, it's chain drive. So, you you know, uh, it's the only shadow that is, which I thought was kind of bizarre that they went ahead and made that change. But uh, it kind of is uh, the proportions of a Sportster <laughs> without the seat and the tail being quite so low. Uh, it's water cooled. Engine's gonna run forever. And, and I had actually gone to the bank and gotten cash. And my wife was gonna meet me after work to go get it. And after she got out of work, she called me on the way home and she said, I'm, I'm, I'm just having second thoughts. And so we talked about it for a while and we both decided, uh, she was saying, I'm not sure I want to spend that money because she's like, if I'm going to ride any, just, I like my spider. I want to have a two wheeler, but I, I don't know how much I'm actually going to ride it. And it wasn't probably the bike I would have chosen for just myself because we're trying to find a compromise that we can share. Mm-hmm. And the only way I can describe this bike is it's like going to dinner at Applebee's. Yeah, it would be disappointment. Any, everybody can find something they can at least live with. 
but it's not going to be anything that is going to be anybody's favorite. You know, it was just kind of like, uh, (laughs) I'm not going to spend three grand. It it goes back to what we were saying before. Don't buy something that isn't exactly what you want. And she wasn't sure she wanted a bike, period. I wasn't sure this is the one that I would want to have because they they do like for a 750, they do like 80 miles an hour flat out. You know, it's like, "Mm, golly, I, I really don't know if, and my wife said to me, she said, you know, what's going to happen is we're going to ride this a couple times. It's going to be in our way in the garage because we already have too many things packed in our garage. And it's like, we're going to be tripping over it. And in a year or 18 months, we're going to sell it. Yeah. And I was like, "Eh, yeah, you're right. So we turn around and put the money back in the bank. Yeah. Well, for that price, I mean... I don't think you're going to lose a lot of money if you do buy it and then you do sell it. Realistically, and it was probably undervalued by two to four hundred bucks. Yeah. Uh, but it it's when we were both saying, where are we going to put this? Because right yeah. now in our garage, we have two spiders, <clears throat> which are huge. Uh, my little workshop area with the bull taco strewn all over the place there. The 125 plus a push mower and a zero turn mower. And it's just, there's just no more space for anything. So it was like, put so me- it sounds like you're probably not going to end up with any motorcycle, including an NC700X, despite Honda's very attractive offers. Uh, CTX, not in, in or, C- yeah, but, but I, I tell you, oh, also I called the dealership and I was talking to him and they're like, the thousand dollars in bonus bucks. Oh no, you don't get to keep that at this price. All the rebates and offers come to us. I was like, <laughs> uh, okay, that changes. I tell you, right now my my desktop background on my computer is the 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 matte black CTX seven hundred N naked, and every time I look at, it, I'm like, I could, I still could do that, and I really do think it's a really good deal. Yeah. But I'm afraid I'm going to ride for about 45 minutes with those forward controls and go, I'm done with this. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, there's a reason they're sitting in the warehouse. So it seems like a Shadow might be a better bike for your wife because they're such a lower seat height. And well, it looks like it anyways. Well, but. actually, she's not big on low seat height because she's, she's like oh, six she's one, tall, didn't you say? Right. Yeah, she's, she's six foot tall. And... um She's much more comfortable if she has her legs straighter as she's holding up the bike because she's got bad knees. She's got okay. uh, Osgood slaughter disease when she was a uh, basketball player. Oh, yeah. And uh, and so her knees are messed up enough that trying to hold your weight up with your knees bent is exactly what she can't do. Yeah. But she doesn't want to be on a bike that she feels like she can't just step off of easily. You know, something she got on an NC 700 and she's like, nope, too tall. It, it Yeah. Feels like I couldn't just step off of it easily, so I don't know. Could, we, we're pricing well. It's probably not what you, again. It's probably goes into the not what you want, but would like the a modern Bonneville, whether it was carbureted or fuel injection, kind of work as a right about right seat height, not too much power. It's been devalued about as far as it's going to go to four or five grand. Absolutely. Uh, I'm I'm not sure. I have found one that I would want to spend four to five grand on. Quite honestly, the ones with the 17-inch cast wheels 
uh, the the air cooled standard base Bonneville, not the Thruxton, not the mm-hmm. the go fasty ones, one twenty and all that other all yeah. the other ones. Uh, just the base Bonneville cast wheel, seventeen inch would be ideal. I haven't found one in Kansas City that's worth uh, what people want to spend. Yeah, first of all, okay. I haven't found that many, and those that I have are, you know, oh, it's only got 28,000 miles on it, which <laughs> I I got really stung with the W650 that we bought. It had 34,000 miles on it, and I overpaid for it. And it I rejetted the carbs. I replaced the chain and sprockets. I did a whole bunch of other stuff to it, and it never stopped feeling like a worn-out uh, motorcycle. Really? Yeah, it 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 never really was very smooth. It kind of surged and bucked at just slightly at all speeds and when you went over the uh uh like bumps and stuff like that, it just felt mm-hmm. like the whole thing rattled. Mm. So, I was looking at, well, do I do I need to you know, do swing arm bearings or wheel bearings or something? Is there something? But the whole thing just never, I think it just had too many miles on it. Gotcha. Uh, Speaking of, not really a motorcycle thing, but uh, speaking of the zero-turn riding mower, (laughs) uh, I've got a Gravely, and it's got a really janky pivot system for the little castering wheels on the front, and... Like three different times, I've had to replace the really crappy little half inch by five inch oh. bolts that they use as pivots, and they just bend. And so I decided I was going to fix this once and for all. And I went out and got a one inch diameter shoulder bolt from McMaster Car at 56 bucks each for two of them. Yikes. Oof. Took it to my local welder down the street and had him weld it to the wheel brackets. And I was like, well, can you weld this, you know, enough that it's really not going to come apart? And he's like, oh, trust me. When I weld this, you're not going to have a problem. <laughs> there is like this mound of uh-huh. steel under these things now. It's just this. I like to think I've got some welding equipment at home. No. A one-inch diameter carbon steel bolt. I could heat with a torch for a week and I couldn't get it up to temperature enough to let my welder do anything with it. Uh-huh. This is like welds the size of my pinky. I was like Are you, What do you, TIG weld it? Uh, no, that's not TIG. No, that's that, MIG. That's MIG, but that's that's oh, like okay. I think that's a Miller 210 cranked up all the way with a torch on it first. It, and it's deceiving because if you just look at the picture and you, and you can't see oh, okay, perspective sorry, yeah. or anything it, is, yeah. it, it looks... Like it could be a lot smaller. Like it looks like it could be a quarter inch bolt or like, you know, maybe three eighths. But then you can kind of see your hand, like yeah. a finger in there. And then you realize how big that assembly actually is. That bolt yeah. is oh, yeah. a five inch by one inch diameter. Uh, wow. Shoulder bolt. And, uh, so yeah, I've got a, a, uh, very, very strong setup now that <laughs> I'm, I'm, Last time I saw a pivot bolt like that bent on a riding mower was when my friend's mom had the misfortune of trying to ride and mow her yard for the first time. They had a huge hill off of one side, really rocky, and she didn't know how to uh, 
like maneuver the mower. And so she panicked full throttle down the hill and it, she was okay, but the mower wasn't. And I think there is every bolt on it was bent like that one, but it, lo- it looks like yours probably isn't going to bend again though. I don't think so. No. So I, w- I was having a little, uh, mangasm over all the uh, high strength <laughs> welding that was going on. <laughs> I have to figure out what I'm going to do with my mower. Speaking of that, it burns oil like a, Harley Davidson does. It's, <laughs> I've, it's, I've got a John Deere rider and I got it when I bought my house, which was probably like seven or eight years ago. And to be perfectly fair, I haven't maintained it very well. It's got a Briggs and Stratton motor in it and it just started consuming oil. Like I, it only holds about a quart and a half and I probably go through about a half a quart per mowing. <laughs> so I'm having to figure out now whether I want to buy a whole new mower or get a new motor for it. I'm not really sure. So valve seals or valve, or valve seals or an oil ring? Oh God. You know, it's probably, um, it's probably rings. And when I turn the thing on, it plumes smoke out of the exhaust. Yeah. So. Uh, well, that's usually valve seals. It will, if on oil a startup is, like that, it will, and it's, it's not when I start the engine, it's when I oh. engage the blades. Oh, gotcha. So I actually start you mowing. Yeah. yeah. It, I mean, it's everything, nothing that I'm going to fix. It's either going to get a new motor or a new mower. <laughs> so one of the two. But it's yeah. <laughs> so riding mowers. Speaking of John Deere's and their fabulous color scheme. Are we talking color schemes for bikes today? Yes, we got a, a, a great suggestion on uh, Hooniverse, a reply to our weekly post for the podcast. And uh, it's from Ninja Abortion. Ninja Abortion. Yes, yes, somebody actually chose that as his online handle. I, that, I, I'm guessing he's he stunts motorcycles and has a Ninja Abortion of I, a stunted motorcycle. I don't know. I, regardless that's that's kind of equivalent to you know walking around the mall in the middle of the day in your pajamas either your life is really messed up or you have got it dialed in so much more than the rest of us (laughs) Um, but his quote is uh i vote for a color scheme topic at some point I loves me the red, white, and blue Hondas and the history of that, but I don't really know much about the story of other liveries. Not a demand or anything, just a request from a listener. Love the podcast so far. Keep them coming. Well, thank you for the compliment. And yeah, this kind of ties in this week because the Shadow RS was normally available in, uh, I think it was black and silver and a couple of other solid colors. And then in 2000. 11 or 12, I forget when the RS, the, the more standard non-cruiser model, came out with red, white, and blue Honda Team HRC colors. And when it came out, I was really impressed. I normally like my bike's solid colors, but there's something about that RS and the red, white, and blue. If the bike I had been looking at had been that color, I <laughs> may not have walked away from it quite so easily. You could always make it that color if you really wanted to, but I suppose that requires a bunch more work. I've never really understood color schemes on street bikes, and that's probably because I've always grown up riding a lot more off-road where 
um, the off-road bikes, dirt bikes, they are, were always um, a little bit more, there is a little bit more correlation with their color schemes, except for things like Yamaha, where they change it around a little bit. But historically, they've always kind of focused on a color scheme. Motorcycles, street bikes have drifted around more, it seems like, with the colors that they used. And on a lot of the, at least like manufacturer specific, they've never really just adopted a color and kind of stuck with it. It's always just been different here and there. And all of them, like Honda, Yamaha, and I'm sure probably others have done red, white, and blue color schemes here and there. Uh, some have done others, but I think what I like the most is the early nineties, like high bright neon kind of colors. Like, you know, remember the Kawasaki's with like the green wheels and the green and the pink and purple graphics and uh, Kawasaki did it pretty well. Mm-hmm. Honda did it really horribly. The worst one <laughs> I'm thinking of the interceptor 250 that was like white, pink and teal. Funny, oh, funny you just should mention that bike. <laughs> yeah, so funny. When Eric and I were attempting to do a podcast that didn't work out uh, a few weeks ago, my friend was looking at buying a motorcycle. This is the same friend that just got this Yamaha Maxim. And he was looking at interceptors. And I was browsing around Craigslist. And maybe Eric still has a picture of the one. I was browsing around my local Craigslist. And I found a 1992 Interceptor 250 with 493 original miles on it that was one off of the prices right in 1992. And, and Interceptor 250 can't be a 92. Yeah, I, if Eric can find the post, um, if it's not a 92, it's right there. It's either a 93, 92, one of those, Interceptor 250, white with the TLC and the kind of like super 90s squiggly uh, like decal on the side, 493 miles on it, one off of the price is right. And uh, they wanted 1600 bucks for it. Wow. Yeah. And so for 1600 bucks, I mean, the thing looked brand new. I felt like it was a good buy just because it was so damn nice. But yeah. I think it was 1990. I think it was 88, 89, and 90. Oh, that's it. Yeah. The, the, oh, pink yeah, it pur- could have been a 90. That's actually the best of the three. In between those, they were black, but they still had the teal colors on the side. But yeah, so this was for sale locally. It's no longer on there. 1600 bucks, 493 miles on it, and it was one off of the prices right. It doesn't get any better than that, except for if it were maybe a bigger bike, but all other things aside. Suzuki had some rather interesting kind of teal and pink, bold new graphics on some of their GSXRs back in the 88 to 92 kind of time. Well, 91, 92 kind of time frame. You know, I would call it pseudo Miami Vice kind of look. Right. <laughs> and and the worst thing is, is that some of the racers, AMA racers or just motorcycle racers in general, sort of had leathers that kind of went along with mm-hmm. it, which made it yeah. even that much more obnoxious. Right. But I love the old, like late 80s, early 90s Suzuki dirt bike color schemes that they had. I don't know if this one was a factory, if this is just like a kind of a um, throwback, but I posted a picture of a dirt bike that has what I'm kind of talking about. It's almost like a leopard print type of purple, yellow, pink uh, decal. But this early 90s bright colors was just the coolest thing. And I still like it. Although it's it's tough because if it's not in mint condition, then it looks terrible. 
if you're going to ride something like this super bright and vibrant, it almost has to be something that's almost museum quality. So it doesn't just look faded and nasty and ugly. But where did the red, white and blue Honda color scheme come from? Was that just for their racing division, the HRC? It, those were Was HRC that's... colors. Yeah. Yeah. Honda but they've done Corporation. it on, well, pretty much everything on the dirt bikes. They were mostly red with just the red, white, and blue decals with a blue seat. Um, but on the street bikes, it seemed like they were all white with either a red seat or blue seat and red, white, and blue graphics on it. The first ones I remember, red, white, and blue being prominent, is their early flat track bikes were all red, white, and blue. And the first interceptors, when they came out, they, they kind of went to red, white, and blue then. Because prior to that... Like even their superbikes, Freddie Spencer's uh, CB750F superbike was silver. Yeah, that's true. Yep. Yamaha did several bikes, but not like Honda did. Honda used those as colors. I think Yamaha probably just maybe one or two years. You would probably know better than me. Yamaha traditional colors, well, in, in the U.S., the traditional racing colors were the yellow and the black, especially with the bumblebee stripe. Yeah. Um, and then to this day is still one of the coolest, classiest looking things. Um, when uh, when they did the R1 in 2006 in that, because they they'd done the MotoGP bikes for uh, for for one of the anniversaries. And then they did the R1 special edition in that it was just dead sexy. And then the European colors tended to be red. Same same scheme, except they were red and white, which also can look really, really good when done correctly on on different bikes. Yeah, 2006 was their 50th anniversary, and That's they did several bikes in the throwback kind of color scheme of the yellow. I know the dirt bikes, they did a 50th anniversary in yellow, um, and then also, like you said, the R1, and I believe the R6 also they did yellow mm-hmm. in that year, which I've never really understood why Yamaha switched from yellow I can answer that because no, because they were yellow and black in the United States. The French importer chose red and white and they were so popular in the Grand Prix world. The European style was so much more important. They said, we're going to go to one color for everything. Interesting. And then they went to the blue later on. But yeah, it was red and white in Europe and yellow and black in the United States for many years. And they finally, kind of the headquarters in Japan, said, nope, we're not doing two different color schemes in different parts of the world. We want to have one identity. They went to red and white for a couple of years and then eventually did the blue with the white graphics on it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I just recently had to make a decision on whether or not a YZ should be yellow or a YZ dirt bike should be blue because I have... Like I was have been talking about over the past couple of weeks, I have a 2006 YZ450F that I turned into a street legal supermoto. And it's the 50th anniversary and it came with yellow plastics. And when doing the supermoto, I wanted to put new plastics on it. And so I had to decide whether or not I wanted to keep the yellow or put blue on it. And ultimately, I chose blue because growing up, for me, in the late 80s and early 90s, I always saw YZs as being blue. And so for me, that's kind of the color that it needed to be. And so I made it blue. But somebody that grew up riding a late 70s YZ when it was yellow, probably 
uh, thinks the... that Yamaha should be yellow. And then in the earlier 70s, they kind of used different colors. There was a gold CT and among other things. But Late 80s, mid-late 80s, early 90s, Yamaha was, was white with red with with some red accents as i recall it their racing colors did go to red and white and they yes. copied that a lot of their dual purpose bikes and and mm-hmm. even their motocrossers for a couple years until they went with the blue which for me is weird because i think of blue and white as being suzuki colors because in the 70s all the factory suzukis were kind of a lighter almost like a ford engine blue and white uh the tr750s and stuff but Suzuki had something similar because Heron Suzuki, the the British importer, did white with red and yellow stripes. So they had kind of two identities. In my brain, Yamahas are yellow, Suzuki is blue, Honda is red, and Kawasaki is green. Yeah, so I feel like Kawasaki has uh, done the least switching around between all of them. And what's interesting is Molly Sanders, the same guy who designed the the black and yellow track stripe for Yamaha, is the same guy who picked lime green for Kawasaki. He was an image consultant in Southern California, and Hmm. he was responsible for both of those color schemes. He got hired Hmm. by Kawasaki first. And they had red race bikes. And he said, no, you need them to stand out. Do this, this atomic pickle green. <laughs> and, uh, they were like, are you sure? And he did. And people loved it and they were yeah. recognizable on the track. So they <laughs> kept it. And then he got hired for, uh, by Yamaha and he designed the yellow and black bumblebee track stripe. And what's also interesting is he designed the, Rainbow Six Arrow logo for Buick V6 turbo engines. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And he was the one who specified that the uh, Grand National should be all black. Really? So, yeah, he was. That's a lot of weight to shoulder. Yeah. (laughs) So, so, so going off topic slightly here, uh, now that you say that, I'm, I'm looking at, I'm thinking of the image in my head. So, does the Buick V6 image fit in the sunset uh facebook page oh it needs to be added yes it definitely does yeah we haven't mentioned that on air but if you are a huge fan as i am and many others are of gradient stripes which you'll know from most vehicles and motorcycles of the 70s and 80s pete created a facebook page where you can share your enthusiasm uh, and it's I heart, right? I heart sundown stripes. Yep. Yep. And it is pure magic. <laughs> and if you have any awesome pictures, throw them on there. I could look at pictures of sundown stripes for days. So <laughs> that was off topic. I don't even remember what we were talking about now. <laughs> well, we were talking about the, the designer, Molly, yeah, designer. Molly Sanders, who, yeah. by the way, when he passed away, I did write it a universe article. I don't know, probably four or five years ago. And, uh, there's a really cool picture. He had an FJ, FJ 1200, FJR. I don't remember exactly what bike it was, but he had it done up in the diagonal track stripe yellow and black on an FJ. Really cool bike. They should have built the FJ with that color scheme and it would have been very awesome. 
So when you say the yellow and black bumblebee stripe, did they start using that on the Kenny Roberts bike? Or is that something that they use even before the Kenny Roberts? Because I can't think of anything that has that like about that, that pattern time, stripe. Yeah, it was early 70s, maybe 74, I want to say. I don't know. I mm-hmm. can go back and look at the. Uh, yeah, I'm looking at. Uh, I was just doing a. Look, I was looking that up, and I just found a '76 MX125, um, and it's not real elaborate, but yeah, it's yellow and it has some of the some of the bumblebee uh, to it. So it's obviously pre that. And at first, it was literally a square block stripe, and then by the time they got to the RZ350, they had uh, made it kind of a diagonal italic hash mark yeah. across there and they kind of narrowed one end of it and they kind of did some funky things with it yeah kenny on the kenny on that was 74 is that right uh, on what on when, when they started seeing like the bumblebee on his dirt tracker um i think it was about the same time as the tz 700 tz 750 somewhere in there which would make it 73 74 something like that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh wow, that that uh, FJ does look good. Yeah, was what year was that? Was that 06? I don't know. That was no. his personal bike that he had painted. Oh, okay. That was a custom. Uh, right. Well, it never would have come like that, but right. But it should have. That's a really <clears throat> awesome looking bike. Yeah. Even more so than the the Kenny Roberts RZ350 that was painted that color. I think it looks even better on the uh, on the on the FJ. Yeah. It's really interesting that there are some bikes that they did almost exactly the same color scheme. I, I want to say it was like one of the FJs or FJRs that Yamaha had. It was like red and white with blue, not quite pinstripes, but small accent stripes. Or you could get it in red with red accent stripes. You were choosing between two things that were darn near the same. Sometimes I don't understand how they make choices about colors. And then the Yamaha red and white eventually, well, for racing purposes, evolved. And I guess it was a really good color scheme because it easily evolved into what became, for many years, the Marlboro bikes for both yeah. Giacomo Agostini and then for, for Kenny Roberts as well. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that was a uh, – it's still sort of an iconic thing. And then for the Honda – they've they've done some interesting things in racing because the traditional red, white, and blue evolved – sort of, for Rothmans. So it's not quite red, white, and blue, but it still has some of that. Um, and then they've worked it, although they've changed the colors off and on, with uh, with the current Repsol scheme. Repsol scheme. Mm-hmm. Although Repsol at times has been like green and brown and something else. It's it's sometimes not been very attractive, but the current one isn't I, bad. And they have, a, they have a retro one that they ran a couple of years ago for Valencia that was really sharp. I don't like the, the Repsol scheme, but I, I've never liked the, the golf livery on cars either. I thought yeah. it kind of, it looked like Howard Johnson threw up on the car. And <laughs> it, I don't, I don't mind the Repsol scheme on the race bikes, but when they do a Repsol edition and you can like ride it on the street kind of graphic thing, I don't like that. I think it, you know, the racetrack has its place for flamboyant graphics, but if it didn't come out of 1992, then I feel like the kind of flamboyant bright graphics need to stay on the racetrack. I don't know if I want to have a sponsor's anything. Right. The only possible one that I think was kind of cool was the Japanese domestic 
uh, Rothman's Honda NS 400s, mm-hmm. uh, with the little Rothman's Honda name and crest on it. For some reason, that transcends my objection. I, I can't think of too many other ones that have had sponsors names on GP replicas other than Rothman's and, and Repsol. Can you? Mm, now that uh, lucky strike. Lucky oh, that's strike right. Yeah, the lucky Suzuki. strike. 250 GP bikes, or mm-hmm. 250 street bike, 250 and the 400 Japanese market ones. Yeah. But I really do like the blue on the Hondas with the white separated with the red stripe. I think that that looks really sharp. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah. I, while we were talking, I did go back and dig the 82 Honda Superbikes were silver and 83 were red, white, and blue. Although I think some of the 83 were just blue and white. What was 81? I think they were silver for, silver with blue for a number of years. Oh, okay. Yeah, the, the works bikes were silver in either blue or I think some of them had red stripes on silver. And then they switched in 83. Is that what you just said? 83 when they went to the V4s is when they, they all, now that's in the United States. I think it was different in Europe because if you go back and you look at some of the, Bulldor replicas that were around that time, they did some totally different stuff over in Europe. Yeah. And that's where we will conclude part one of our discussion. Tune in next week. Bold New Graphics part two will explore Italy and some of the racing liveries and corporate graphic identities of bikes from Europe and a whole lot more. So tune in. In the meantime, check out the other podcasts on Hooniverse.com. Visit Hooniverse for pictures of all the bikes that we discussed this week. Check us out on Facebook at The False Neutral. On Twitter, The False Neutral. And be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. And we will see you next week. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.